0: Hey, it's Guy here, and you're listening to an audio broadcast of Market Call. That's MKT Call. It's a video series I do with Dan Nathan every Monday through Thursday, live at 1 p.m. Eastern. We break down the big market-moving headlines and offer trade ideas. Each week, we are joined by Carter Worth of Worth Charting and Liz Young from SoFi for their investment analysis. So check it out. And if you like it, follow at Market Call on Twitter and subscribe to Risk Reversal Media on YouTube so you never miss an episode. Monday, June 27th, congratulations to all you Colorado Avalanche fans out there. Dan, I know you're one of them. This is Market Call. G-Swiz here, joined by Dan Nathan. Just a few minutes, Carter Braxton worth of worth charting. We're going to try to do this in 30 minutes, but... You know, I'm just looking at our rundown. My senses—we might go a little long, so bear with us, people. Uh, today's episode brought to you by FactSet Financial Data and Analytics, powered by Tomorrow Dan, and we are powered by Open Exchange. Uh, the the Stanley Cup Finals are over. Hockey season is over.
1: Uh, congratulations, Colorado! Great team. Guy Dami, you must be. This must be like a bizarro time for you because you know we got the NBA out. We got the NHL out, you know. You did have your NBA draft, um, you know. The you know like NFL. I mean, we got it what two months or something like that. What do you do? You just have your, your your Yankees in the Bronx, which actually had some pretty exciting baseball up there over the weekend, huh?
0: Again, as a Yankee fan, I will use my arrogance and say regular season is interesting. You know, the games matter, but for Yankee fans, things don't get interesting till October. I know for you Met fans out there, you know, you live and die with every day in May, June, July, and those things. I mean, that's just the difference. You can at me on Twitter if you want. But in terms of the market, Dan, pretty benign day, which surprises me. Yeah. uh, Just given, again, given what we saw last week, you know, given some of the headlines over the weekend and the fact that, you know, we're headed into a holiday shortened week, quarter end, month end, all those things. But S&P, as I'm looking at right now, is dead flat.
1: Yeah, not not a lot going on today. I do think it's interesting though that you know, you and and Carter, who's gonna come on, we're gonna talk about this in a little bit. You know, right after that Fed meeting, I think you guys were both in agreement um that the the market could bounce and, and ultimately did. Um last week it had a, a nice rip after oh, some consecutive. That's ugly. I'm just looking at the picture now. Sorry, continue. Oh uh, well, there, well, there you go. Um but but, but it just seems like That you know, late last week, there were a lot of people jumping on that bandwagon a little bit, our friend. Um, Mike Wilson over there at Morgan Stanley. I thought this headline from Bloomberg was kind of interesting. And, and again, Mike is a guy who kind of um, came up in this business through a couple different bear markets and, and kind of made his bones in them. And he certainly understands that you're going to have counter trend rallies. He's saying that another 5 to 7% before losses resume. Mm-hmm. And then I thought this tweet from Carl Quintanilla at CNBC quoting um, a message from JP Morgan's trading desk talking about how people could get sucked in, maybe you see 4,200. Um, just give me your thoughts here. Looking at the S&P 500 guy, you see the downtrend that's been in place. Those countertrend moves have become smaller and smaller since that late March one. And you look and see where that support level where we just bounced up, that's over 18-month lows. You got to go all the way back to 2021 where that support comes in. What's your take here? Do we get to that downtrend, which would be about 4,000?
0: yeah, I do think we will, and you're right for you know, I thought 4100, I mean, do we see an overshoot perhaps you know, my thought process was, you know i've I've seen these markets now for so many years and watched them do things that don't make a lot of sense. And I figured I'd try to get ahead of this one. I said, all right, what do we have coming up? We have obviously month end, quarter end, into a holiday shortened week. Um, the market had a pretty precipitous sell-off. everybody seemingly, bearish, all those indicators are about as bearish as they've been in quite some time. I said, you know, this environment probably sets us up for an 8 or 9% rally from those lows and, you know, probably more than like 10% given where we traded down to. And I'm going to stand by that. And what I think is going to happen, and, you know, I've been wrong so many times, I could potentially be wrong again, but I think you can have this slow grind higher that frustrates everybody. You know, bears are going to be frustrated because they're convinced the market should be going down and it's not. I think the VIX probably sort of grinds lower I don't know, 23 and 24 or so. I think it's going to culminate around 4,100, maybe an overshoot. And it's going to coincide, I think, with Apple reporting earnings at the end of July, which I think sends this next leg lower. So we'll
1: see. But that, in my yeah. mind, is how we're setting up. Yeah, talking about legs lower, though, let's look at this NDX and NASDAQ 100 chart. We know that Apple makes up thirteen or so percent of the weight of that index of 100 stocks. And this, you know, has a very different look and feel to it than the S&P 500 chart. And again, you know, the Apple is six and a half, seven percent of the S&P 500. But, guy, you know, if you're looking at an 18-month chart, look just as we were looking at the S&P 500, the NASDAQ's bounce right here, the NDX's bounce still places it below that March 2021 low. And if you look at that, that downtrend that's been in place since kind of late March or so, early April, you see it. It's at a very key level as it relates to two, two forms of resistance there. So that'll be really interesting to see just what sort of window dressing we saw. We know that we had that Russell imbalance late last week. So we'll see on the NDX here. But Guy, I got to get your take real quickly on yields. You know, we were talking about last week, we, we had that move back to that uptrend that had been in place since the start of this quarter. And it's really remarkable when you think that the 10-year yield when we started this quarter was at 2%. And about two weeks ago, it was at 3.5% half percent the the rate in which it the rate rose was pretty dramatic here, so we had that pullback and a lot of the questions that we were kind of facing was what does it mean if yields go much lower in the face of the Fed raising, right? And then we've already had this equity market correction, if you will. Well, what would it mean, Guy, if we ricocheted off of that uptrend and we were to make new highs in the 10-year U.S. Treasury yield?
0: Yeah, so it's interesting. I think we find ourselves in an environment, and again, just my opinion, that Regardless of move, so if the equity, let's put it this way if yields go back to three and a half percent in a 10 year, I think that's probably bearish for equities. If yields go down to two and three quarters, which is what I think is going to happen, I think it's probably bearish for equities. And yields going higher sub- suggest that inflation is still out of control and the Fed is on the right course and they need to be as aggressive. People are going I think people are trying to gauge whether or not they're going to back off. I don't think they will. And yields going lower suggest the economy slowing down but inflation still going to be a concern in the form of two years so i think 10 year yields go to 2
1: and 3 quarters yes they bounced off that trend line we'll see how long that lasts all right, fair enough. Let's um, let's bring Carter Braxtonworth of Worth Charting in here to kind of give us his take because he's also been calling for a rally. We've had one here. He's given us a sense of um, where he thinks we go. CBW, welcome back oh, to Market Call. How are you, Bud?
2: I'm good. You know, I have to thank you. You were saying something about the Yankees last time You know, I, I I don't do it at all. I don't follow, it. and yet. You know, when I was a kid, and not to imply that I put that away, there's that horrible cliche, I was so glued to the thing from Bucky Dent to Willie Randolph, and I was, of course, Reggie Jackson, and followed all of it, and Chris Chambers and Craig Nettles, and now I've been out of touch for so. I understand they're very good. And they could win 120 games, according to my nephew, yeah. and it was because you guys brought it up. So I'm watching. Well, those are, listen, I'm all those guys it.
1: that you just mentioned yeah, are guys.
2: Classage, I mean, no, Dom but they're all Guy name. Dami's.
1: They're all his contemporaries. <laughs> yeah. But but let me ask you this, Guy. You got bottom of the tenth. Okay, we're in extra innings, and your man the Judge hits a three run walk off dong. That doesn't get you all excited about what's going on in June in the Bronx? Yeah, I mean it was a great it was a great
0: regular season. Season win, You know, watch Aaron Boone's press conference. I mean, his demeanor says it all. I mean, you can't get. Listen, I understand the rookies will get excited by that. You know, they'll be popping champagne corks. But when you've when your absolute goal is to win the World Series and anything but is a disappointment. You know, we win in June on a yeah. Sunday
1: walk-off it's, it, fashion. Listen, it's fun, it's but
0: you know, fun basketball. for the
1: fans. You know, you're out there in left field. You had some Lobos steak sandwich. You had yeah. some some ice cream in a cap. All right, let's do this, Carter. Give it to us on this on the rally and where you think we are and how it kind of reignites. You heard us kind of saying that we had that nice ricochet. You guys were calling for it. So nothing going on here today. It is interesting yeah. though that a lot of people seem to be jumping on Doug Cass, who I you know I. I, I like Doug's work. He's very thoughtful. He's been looking at markets um, a little longer than Guy Adami here. Um he had a note out today that he is um optimistic about both the economy and the markets. And here's a guy who's obviously been very bearish over the course of let's say the last year or so. Just seems that there's a lot of people who are looking for a continuation of this reality. Speak to us a little bit of, you know, Guy mentioned That's quarter right. end also. What, what what's what's factoring into your thoughts here? Yeah,
2: I mean, one thing is is you don't want everyone to be on the same side, right? Now that you get a 9% rally, I think there are, and for good reason, you draw people in, right? It, it's like anything else. Something is day one or day two, you don't really get involved, whether it's a, a market move or any trend, you know, a restaurant or a, a fad. But after nine, eight, 9 9 percent rally, you're starting to see a lot of people um, join, so to speak, both with their money or academically. Obviously, anyone from the sell side who's writing a report is an academic, right? And so the, the question is this, do we have to continue? No. Um, one thing that's horrible, right? And, and forget about the current market. In any market, you can read in newspapers going back 100 years, the following statement. We think the market can rally here a bit, but then we think it's going to go down from there. Now, that's garbage, right? I mean, let's just be clear, because then you're covered. If it rallies, you say, see, we thought it was going to rally. And then if you say, if it starts to fail, you say, but we warned you that it was going to go lower. Meaning we have to all guard against that, right? And That's that, that's the hack observer. That's the guy who's... the covering himself. I think uh, more uh, to be clear, I mean, Guy, I and others have said, when it was going down, hey, it's going to bounce pretty soon, if not right now. Harder now is that it's bounced. Do we stay on the ride or do we pair back? I think in a perfect world when we're long SPY, I would sell calls.
1: All right. Really, really quickly, Carter, well, you know, you heard what we had to say about the S&P versus the the NDX. They look a bit different that here. Is, I'm just curious if you have a t- I know that optically they look the same, but the fact that we're still below those 18 months, going back to the start of 2021, does that mean anything to you?
2: No, we know that other than the fact that the NDX and the auto, if you look at the correlation, actually punching on Bloomberg, the correlation between S&P and London is about 92% and they're gonna do the same thing because it's just a function of the weighting, right? Uh, One was better on the way up, NDX, and it was worse on the way down.
1: Yep, fair enough. All right, listen, both of you guys were looking at healthcare today. Uh, you know, last week on a couple of occasions um, on Fast Money Guy, you had mentioned, and on Market Call, um, you know, large cap pharma, some of these other names. Talk to me a little bit about the XLV, uh, XLV excuse me, the ETF that tracks um, the pharma space. And, and Carter's going to get into a bunch of stuff as it relates relative to the, the healthcare space, of the S&P 500. What was your take? And, and and Guy, you were playing for a bounce here. Um, you know, it got below that support that had been in place for, I don't know, almost a year or so. What, why was this group catching your eye? Last
0: week, you know, it felt to me as if this was the last group. This and energy was the group that people that were long basically sort of, I think, they just sort of acquiesced and threw in the towel. And I think that's why you saw as precipitous a decline as we did. And you also had some political concerns. There was some rhetoric out of Washington. Obviously, every once in a while, these companies get bullseyes on their back. Mm-hmm. So I totally get that. I think to a certain extent I think what the markets realize is wait a second there's still some real stories here and valuations are still compelling and, You know, last week when my, when Merck was down to 84 Karen mentioned on Tuesday on fast money that she liked Merck at those levels if you look today I think it actually traded up to 95. Eli Lilly I believe made a new all-time high Bristol Myers breaking out to the upside so they're real stories around these companies and they have compelling valuations which is in this environment is exactly what you're looking for. So although obviously that move to the downside was rather steep and rather quick, I do think there's value here in these names. Now, the armchair analyst will look at this and say, yeah, a bit of a death cross here, I get it. We'll see what happens though, if and when we get through back through that. I think it's a 150 day moving average, Carter.
2: Yeah, I mean, it's a tough spot, right? When you break from well-defined lows at a common level, which you've annotated there with that green line, and then you recover to and above the level from which you broke down, by definition, you're back to a difficult level where there's overhead supply. Uh, or said differently, there's memory. Once you break and you're at those lows of four, five, seven sessions ago, you have people who are trapped by definition. Anyone who purchased XLV for the past year is underwater, negative, yes? And the human condition, if given a chance, you made hold to get their money back, they seize it many of them. So this strength draws out people from above, give me my money back, thank goodness. That's one type of memory, people who bought poorly. And then there's the opposite. The most hapless, uh, dumb luck player at the bottom or George Soros himself, when you nail something at the low, you flip the cards over and they show you 8%, 10%, 12% in sessions, you say, I got to book that. So you've got memory from below, let me grab it, that was free money. Memory from above, thank goodness, I'm even. It's a tough spot to rally. But relative That's the key. I think healthcare's got a long way to go.
1: All right, talk to us on a relative basis because you're going to point out some opportunities that you think still exist in the space.
2: Well, okay, so here are two lines, very straightforward, right? It's a a, a comparative chart. You've got the sector versus the market, year to date. We know the sector is down 7.8 and the market is down 17. So we're basically 1,000 basis points of differential. You could say, so what? They're both down. That's true, money's been lost in either one. But if one is benchmarked to an aggregate and is running money for an endowment or a mutual fund or a family office, it's all about relative performance, meaning if everyone else has a terrible night and you are the lead scorer, even if your team wins, you did a good job. So look at this chart a different way. The second chart is simply the ratio, the relative line. And that horizontal line is the start of the year. That is actually the alpha depicted by the difference between healthcare and S&P. It's beautiful. It's up and to the right with nice dips. Uh, It's it's quite good. And then just a few more, we have some long-term charts. This is all data. So sector data goes back to September of 1989 for the S&P 500. And this is simply that ratio chart, healthcare's relative performance to the S&P. Now check this out, put in a trend line. It's incredible, put in the arrows it's literally bounced to the penny every time i mean healthcare underperformed for about 6 years and came down to that line at the end of last year and bounced beautifully i mean what's not to like
1: yeah. So so let's let's hit some of the individual names here, because, um, again, I mean, you know, Guy, you had mentioned Amgen um, and Lilly last week. You want to look at a few of these. And, and it's not just, um, you know, individual pharma names or, or the managed care names. And you're also going to look at some of the stuff in biotech. Let, let, let's talk about some of these individual names, because if you look at the sectors on a relative basis, the SP like you just laid out. They look like these are some places that kind of put some money relative to the S&P 500. For me, it comes down to just what's the fundamental story and the names
0: we mentioned, they all have stories. Amgen, for example, the story there is clearly valuation, probably at current levels trading at 13 times next year's numbers, which as you know, I mean, in the space, it's very cheap. So I think that alone is worthy of a look. But Eli Lilly is probably the best run big cap pharmacy company in the world right now, just in terms of lower left, upper right. And that's been going on for quite some time. Yeah, there have been pullbacks along the way, but as you can see, pretty much each time we've held the moving averages. And then you look at a Merck, which has been volatile. I mean, Merck had this move from 60 up to 81, back down to 60, got back on its horse, traded back down to 84, as I mentioned um, earlier last week. And now here we are making new all-time high right around 95. Again, decent valuations, a story there they're looking to make an acquisition. So you know growth by acquisition in term, and their organic growth as well. So for me at least, Dan, these names make sense. And Bristol Myers, I think is the last one we have, which has been on the mat for so long, finally getting out of its own way. We basically just got through a multi-year high a couple of weeks ago. And again, valuation compelling, and I like this story. And this is not in a vacuum. I mean, these are names we've talked about now for months.
1: Yeah, Carter, you know, you just talked about a little the XLV when we were looking at it and the ones that Guy just kind of ran through a little bit, had that kind of spike move over the last couple mm-hmm. of weeks. Talk to me though about a couple that you think could really break out of bigger bases because I think you have a chart here of Humana and this thing looks very different despite the fact that it did have a very sharp move over the last couple of weeks. But if you look at that that very long base that it's been in.
2: That's right, and so you would say, why would one be interested in the laggard? So if you looked at its relative performance to the sector, it's been an underperformer. And that is typically something to avoid unless and until its absolute pattern is good. And that's what this is. Meaning you are sitting here at very well-defined tops, just below, uh, exhibiting now good relative strength day-to-day, bullish price-finding correlation. Uh, breakouts, um, the precondition for a breakout is a protracted range, and then you break out, you clear, uh, and you move. Uh, this is set up very well, I like it a lot.
1: All right, so you just mentioned a laggard, and if you look at the XBI here, you have a chart. Um, this is one that has obviously lagged um, the broad market, it's large, uh, is large cap You know, uh, peers. Um, look, look, talk to me a little bit about this setup here, because that it has been in a well-defined downtrend here, and you think the opportunity is going the opposite way on this one.
2: Well, that's right. So one could say the lines are arbitrary. You've brought a trend line that's arbitrary, so, forget all the lines. Let's discuss how an early bearish to bullish reversal starts. If you're in a downtrend and downtrends are punctuated, characterized by counter trend moves up, each time after you have a, a counter trend move, then the resumption of weakness should make a new low. So, the first data point that's incontestable nobody's opinion, not mine, not anybody's is when we started to make the new resumption of weakness, we couldn't make a new low. We didn't make a new low hence that little uh, double bottom that I've annotated there. And now the strength is above the level from which it sold off when it put in the double bottom. So we have a, the beginning of a sequence change. Finally, if and as, that's my bet, that we get above and we break out above that downtrend line, then we start to have something that has legs, And we've seen this in so many things. History tells us whether it's the KWEB recently or any kind of stock or currency or index or commodity, Bearish to bullish reversals start a certain way, and they start by not making a new low. And that's yeah. what that double bottom is.
1: All right, well, you mentioned this near-term double bottom. If you take this thing all the way back to its twenty twenty pandemic lows, Carter, I think you probably are very well aware that it kind of retested it over the last month or so a couple different times. But you know, man, when it went when it bottomed out somewhere in the mid sixties and went all the way up to, you know, that making an all-time high in the start of twenty twenty-one at 175 bucks or so, now it's round trip that whole move. Does that also help inform the kind of a near-term view that you have here that it's basically giving it all back after such a massive move? And where, where would your target be on this one near-term?
2: Well, so starting with the first thing, a minor formation has minor implications, right? That's a minor double bottom over the course of six, 10 weeks. But it's happening at a level that then you've just cited, epic prior lows, plus yeah. or minus. So that the fact that it's happening is important. But it has more import because it's happening at multi-year lows, not shown here, but as you've described it, and that's exactly what's going on. So where can this go? As high as the imagination will allow. Meaning, I can it be (laughs) four. How about 14 or maybe 34? The point being.
0: Oh, sorry, Carter. I know what I was gonna say was just take a look at a vertex chart too, because I think that's important, just for context. I mean, you can see things are again about to break out a moving average is now sloping higher taking out that little high we made recently all looks good and just in looking for catalysts for these names before we move on dan all all these names we mentioned report on or about july 27th uh i think maybe amgen's on the 2nd of august on or about but basically you have about a month or so until earnings so in my opinion, these names that can sort of surprise you to the upside as we continue to grind higher in the broader market.
1: Yeah, all right. And Moving on, though, Guy, as you say, this is kind of an interesting one out of Goldman Sachs, and I'd love to get Carter's kind of take um, maybe on Bitcoin, too, because you've had a heck of a call. You've kind of gone both ways. You were calling for a break, I think, when it was up near 40000 and maybe retesting some of those levels that we haven't seen in in a couple years. We did that, and then you turned the other way and you got bullish. But here's one thing that's kind of interesting. You know, Robinhood, we know that we've been talking a lot about it over the last year that you know it was the meme stock machine in the start of 2021 but really most of the volume that was transacted on that platform for the better part of last year was really in the crypto space so goldman they upgraded Robinhood. okay look at that thing and they downgraded coinbase let's talk about this call guy Adami, because again you know these are both 10 billion or so enterprise value companies they were obviously huge poster child children if you will for the bull market and really the top of the bull market i think coinbase when it did its direct listing ipo last april that was the all-time high at the time for Bitcoin. And then Robinhood obviously topped out at the height of that meme stock machine. So talk to me a little bit about this call from right. Goldman Sachs. Look, I think I'll, I'll try to take them step by
0: step. In terms of Robinhood, I think it's just a stock market call because to me, there's nothing compelling about this company whatsoever, other than the fact it could probably bounce from 8 to 11 or so. And in terms of a percentage move, you can do that math. You know, You could talk about a 40% move and it's still a company mired in basically nothingness. The one that sort of captures me here is Coinbase, because at least Goldman Sachs caught this bounce. I mean, think about it. Coinbase bounced about 50% from $40 to $60. Now, with that said, it was down from, what, then 360 or so at its yeah. zenith, which is just absurd. So I guess the point there is you're going to have some massive, um, I think, counter-trend rallies in these names. And I think that's exactly what you just saw on Coinbase, but I think the ultimate trend is lower. So I sort of like, I like the Coinbase downgrade more than I generally, uh, theoretically like the Robinhood upgrade. Yeah, and one
1: of the things that really stuck out, again, like I said, both of these companies have $10 billion enterprise values. They both have a bunch of cash. They both have a lot of debt, um, especially relative to their, their equity market values right now. But I think it's interesting that Coinbase is expected to have 43 billion dollars in sales this year on a net income uh, you know on a gap basis they're expected to lose I don't know a little more than one billion maybe more than one point two billion now on the flip side of that Robinhood is only expected to have one and a half billion dollars in sales and expected to lose one point two five billion so one of these kids is doing their own things and I, I again I think the Robinhood thing is is kind of toast here but the coin story might not be too far behind it. Carter when you see those those just epic highs that these two stocks have at the height of a, a bull market. And they were very much you know, part of the narrative here. And you see these dramatic lows. You see how they've ground down here. Curious is your thought about the opportunities. Obviously, the narrower and narrower those things come down 80-some percent or so, the more likely you are to have squeezes. But do these sorts of charts ever attract uh, your attention?
2: You know, we've done some things like this, whether it's Crocs or Starbucks. There is a case for so bad it's good. But these yeah. don't feel like it. To me, they feel like just so bad it's bad. And then, for what it's worth, it's nobody's fault. We have—I mean, I have some of the most disastrous calls that have yep. ever been made. We're all always, each of us prone and vulnerable to that. But talking to an analyst here, every one of these analysts had it by 60, 70 percent higher, and they changed their mind to hold. itself. I just—it's—it's it's simply technical. When you have something that takes on the valuations of 60 and 80 and 100 billion dollars that has no operating business practically. Yeah. And then collapses 80, 90%. Talking about their their future is insane. Yes, it's yeah. Wall Street at its worst. That's why they call it the sell side. They're just selling anything on the <laughs>
1: all right let's talk real quickly about bitcoin because when when you mentioned just there's there's all about technicals you nailed that call breaking down um below that kind of thirty thousand sort of level you had that quick move i know you were playing for a bounce and even closed out that trade because it happened so quickly this is going back to the start of 2021 you see that that past support is now resistance and the bounce has kind of been anemic i know that doesn't account for that intraday move that you sent out um you know an update on i think it was over for a weekend too so check carter's uh workout at worth charting because he does send um intraday updates he does videos in the middle of the night there's a whole heck of a lot of stuff going on over there what does what this you know one and a half year chart say and then we also have one going back to those 2017 highs the 2020 breakout and we're just hovering above that too what's your take right now on bitcoin
2: you know it's a it's there's i would say no trade right i mean this is what a pair of twos is it's it, it's a it's a hand to fold essentially Or what that means is retain your bias. If it's your biggest bet you've ever had, you think it's the greatest thing. Okay, God bless. And if you think this is going to zero, I'm with you there too. Meaning sometimes there's a there's a moment where you'd say, "Wow, this can inflect, right? This can really break out or break down. This could bounce off support." It's kind of nothing here. Yeah, hard. I I think hard case makes bad law. This is something to stay with.
1: Fair enough. All right, let's rip through this one here. You know, guy, I know you want to stick to our 30 minutes that we. Try to put on the clock here. Let's talk about the consumer here, because I think this is one that's really going to take um, you know center stage for the balance of this summer or so. We know that the Fed is working very hard to battle inflation, but the likelihood of some of the, the inflationary pressures as it relates to gas at the pump and food are not likely to abate anytime soon, no matter how quickly. And uh, rates go higher and they jawbone this thing. There's Muhammad L aryan He was talking about just rapid erosion in consumer confidence. We know that we're going to have some consumer confidence data this week the University of Michigan is kind of falling off the bi- bottom of the chart. And I guess we'll just kind of look at the XRT, the ETF that tracks retail right here. And it really maps to that of the NASDAQ, you know, from the breakout in late November. And that was really when people were kind of getting concerned um, about inflation. The Fed obviously pivoted. Guy, talk to me a little bit about your view on retail sector. And, and we have two charts here. You see that downtrend. I mean, maybe it gets back up to it. But if you look at the XRT, on a five-year basis, you see that it could easily get back to much lower levels, round-tripping possibly, you know, those 2018 highs. Yeah,
0: that's what I think we're about to do. And all to me, you know, consumer sentiment, it's not going to improve anytime soon. I just don't, I don't know what could possibly happen in the world right now to change it, which, you know, I guess maybe it's out there somewhere. I just can't figure it out. But you just think about what's going on over the last week or so here in the United States, and that's going to continue to erode. So, the chart that you just brought up, I think it's going to continue to be upper left, lower right. And I do think there's a chance. I don't know if we round trip, but I do think this continues to grind lower. The names I wanted to mention quickly, because it just juxtaposes what's going on in terms of where the consumer is. You look at Restoration Hardware, RH, over the last, I don't know, six months or so, it's been disastrous. And that sort of makes sense if you think about it. I mean, people, the pull forward there had to be tremendous, and you wonder... Uh, how many more sofas and lamps and all the different high-end things that they sell are going to be found in people's homes. So I think that makes sense in valuation due to control. The flip side of that coin is Dollar General, DG, which you know had a pretty precipitous drop, but we've bounced again. I mean, you can explain a lot of this away, but the reality is you look at this messy chart, fundamentals to me make sense. They report, I think, at the end of July, and this is a name I think you can get your arms around. So if you're looking to play the consumer, Dan, to me, it falls sort of in these dollar stores. And I think you continue to watch the XRT as your guide overall. Yeah. Say,
1: Carter, talk to us a little bit about this RH, because, again, I think there's a lot of interesting stuff going on that was very kind of linked to the the kind of weird migrations that we saw during the pandemic, the work from home, people upgrading. But, man, when you see at the lows of the pandemic, right, from a 100 and then overshooting in just, you know, like whatever mania, you, you know, if you took the name no. off of this thing, it had it. And now round tripping that move. what What happens to a chart like this?
2: So just just your the, the the so with incredulity is is what you're driving the way you think about it. How does a furniture store? I mean, this is <laughs> something you can figure out. They got chairs and then they got hammocks and they got sofas and they got outdoor patio stuff. And it goes from 250 to 750 mm-hmm. back to 250. It's not biotech, it's not some new software, it's chairs, right? And it just shows that valuation is a very great thing. What what really matters most if you can do it is if it's an uptrend generally try not to be short if yeah. it's in a downtrend generally try not to be long <laughs> you avoid some of the great mistakes in markets does that mean it's easy of course not it's back very hard uh, getting it right but you've got to at least know some of the basic rules we try not to buy stocks and downtrends every once in a while we break that rule is this a time to maybe step in because it's fully round tripped it kind of comes to mind or or you do it through an options strategy to sort of mitigate your risk but it is incredible because it just speaks to valuation nobody knows
1: yeah yeah all right, let, let's get, let, we got one last thing before we get out of here, because Nike's going to report after the close, the implied move in the options market is about 8% in either direction. The stock's down 33.5% of the year. It's obviously down more from its highs. And I think this will be really interesting to hear how this company is dealing with supply chain issues, with demand in different parts of the world, where we know you know China's been locked down for a while. China's been a really important part of the Nike story. Europe, possibly in a recession right now. Um, how are they dealing with you know some of these supply chain issues. Guy, give me your fundamental take here, and let's think about how you play. I, 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 Listen, I don't mean to jump ahead. I think Carter might might, might say this is the charts, a pair of twos here from a technical perspective, but what's your take fundamentally? I, I mean, for me, I'll just say that I'm really interested to hear what a company that a lot of people are focused on, what they have to say about the environment, what they have to say about the visibility from a valuation standpoint. You know, again, trading 25 times next year, expected sales growth of, you know, double digits, earnings growth, um, you know, maybe as high as 15, 16, 17%. If those numbers are good, you know, you could say it 24 times, guy, that maybe that's about as good as it's been for that expected growth that we've seen in a while. If you get that growth, which I don't think you're going to get. And I, I see-
0: still yeah. think it's valuation. If you're asking me fundamental, I think fundamentally it's still expensive. And my big concern on the back of this quarter is not necessarily going to be margins, it's going to be inventory. And how much of an inventory build do we have here? Because that's been the story with so many of these retailers. In terms of how do you play it? I think Carter would say pair of twos and he's probably right. I would submit you could play it for a bounce. This reminds me sort of, of the Salesforce look going into their quarter when the stock was trading 163, we thought it could get to 180. That's what happened. And to me, this is where I think we can bounce to that downtrend line. Probably not a huge move percentage-wise. Maybe you get 5 or 6%, but that's how I'd look at it in earnings today.
1: Carter, now, what do you remarkably, got? Remarkably,
2: this decline from the peak is 42%. And guess what? From its pre-COVID peak to its COVID low, it was 42%. So then it's all about your time frame. Earnings coming up, we maybe trade it for a bounce or does one say forget all that and ask oneself a question if any point in the history of nike you could buy the stock down 42 percent, what happened to you three five years later i can tell you the answer you made a fortune Mm -hmm. so probably if you take the long term view you're okay trading i think it's tough here kind of pair of twos
0: well, Dan, I think that's it. We tried to stay true. We got, I think, four minutes over, but we packed a lot of stuff in because Carter brings the goods as he always does. I want to thank our sponsor, FactSet, Financial Data Analytics, powered by Tomorrow. Of course, we're powered by Open Exchange. We'll be back tomorrow at 1. CB Dubs will be with us on Wednesday. EY from SoFi on Thursday. See you later, folks. Thanks, guys.
2: Bye.